0: Hello everybody and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Good morning, Dr. Paul.
1: How are you this morning?
0: Doing well. Uh, Slow news day. (laughs) Yeah, We didn't have to listen to any bombs dropping, but uh, we have to be aware of the fact that some of our money is being used to drop bombs somewhere in the world. (laughs) But there were bombs dropped uh, in uh, in that famous place now, Ukraine. A lot of activity going on there. So there are predictions that there would be no invasions, and the Russians were, you know, uh, playing cat and mouse. Yeah. But uh, I guess most people are accepting the argument that Ukraine has been invaded. <laughs> you know, even though. Even though it's it's a different different thing, it, it isn't like uh, the invasion of Poland, you know, before World War yeah. II, you know, where the Russians and the, the Soviets and, and and the Germans went into Poland. But um, the one, one, one uh, thing that I was uh, sort of impressed with was it was sort of a targeted war. Uh, I I was joking, but was a t- terribly. Uh, I mean, a sad joke is that none of the cities were bur- burned like Dresden because that, of course, I think was a black mark yeah. on our history because of uh, the way we were dropping bombs in World War II because, uh, you know, a lot of stuff was spared, and it looks like they uh, they weren't purposely trying to make a point by killing civilians. And uh, I hate to have to even suggest it, but if you went back over the last 20 years, 22 years, 20 years at least, how many civilians uh, might have died from our bombing yeah. and, uh, and even target assassinations? So uh, that uh, is something that uh, I think is important because that means that the goal wasn't to destroy the country. Uh, And they didn't think that uh, all of a sudden that Russia would be overrun by uh, people from Ukraine. We don't know what'll happen to it because uh, nobody knew exactly. Putin, uh, I would think that he fits into the category keeping his cards close to his vest. (laughs) So nobody nobody knew exactly what he was doing, but there uh, has been changes. And yesterday, the 24 hours yesterday was big deal. Yeah, I mean, a lot of activity, a lot of news, a lot of financial changes. Gold goes up $50, uh, and, and things are settled down now. Uh, and it, it may settle down for an hour or two or a day or two because uh, there may be some people maybe uh, from the West and that he'll never do it, he'll never do it, uh, he'll be confronted with NATO and stuff like that, but uh, they, it's, it's been done. But there will be, if they listen to, you know, a few people in uh, the United States Congress, <laughs> you know, the Republicans mainly, wow. <laughs> even though there's a lot of hawks in the Democratic Party and and they, uh, they want uh, Biden, and they're not criticizing Biden, uh, you know, for his uh, tough talk. But the tough talk probably, it doesn't do any good that it prevents anything. It just sort of... Antagonizes people, and uh, it's certainly not very diplomatic. And it turns out that uh, this has been smoldering, but uh, you can go all the way back to George Kennan and uh, realize, and, and even Robert Taft saying, Don't mess around with NATO, it doesn't make any sense, you know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it'll it'll lead to war. David Stockman had a good article today about, uh, you know, the, the plans are laid in the past. But yeah, I remember the one statement during my campaign is that when uh, O'Reilly chewed me out for talking about history. I happen to think history is important. Yeah. And, and, the history, and we've gone over a lot of this history uh, and the dates, the agreements, the falsehoods and, and whatever. And, and it's generally been, um, you, you know, the NATO people that have backed away. And here as well, even up until December, uh, there was some... Uh, I think sincere efforts to try to prevent this it didn't happen. It's ongoing now, and it's still up for grabs on exactly what the final thing will look like.
1: Yeah, it was a massive. I think it was around 5 a.m. Kiev time. There's a massive, massive Russian military uh, strike on military targets in Ukraine. As you point out, it was. They've called some people have called it shock and awe, but unlike the shock and awe in Iraq. Uh, and also the bombing in Yugoslavia. To this point, many anything can change. It did not target infrastructure. We have some stuff about that later. It didn't target civilian centers. It did target the missile defense centers. It did target their mi- military bases and military airports. So it looks like it was very, very quickly uh, taken care of. You know, in a situation like this happens, Dr. Paul, the question is always, well, whose side are you on? Who- who's right and who's wrong? Well, that's not really our job here. Our job is to try to explain what happened as dispassionately as we can and try to analyze. And as you uh, point out, bringing history into it cannot be ignored. And we talk a lot about 2014 and how the U.S. involvement in the coup against the elected government in Ukraine has directly brought us to this level. But also the Orange Revolution in the early 2000s under George W. Bush. So this is a bipartisan affair. It's Bush, it's Obama with the Obama-Biden administration, and now that's happened. These are the antecedents that laid the, the path for where we are now. So let's look at a couple of maps just to get an idea. Uh, Of course, these things are outdated pretty quickly, but here's the first one, and this is from uh, uh, Kushur on Twitter who did a pretty good job uh, tracking the Russian advance from Crimea, from the east, and from the north. Uh, And go to the next one, here's also a good one, just so you get a sense of what's happening, and how quickly things are moving on the ground. We haven't seen a lot of uh, Ukrainian uh, fighting back. There are reports that the borders, border guards left their posts. There are a lot of pictures of Ukrainian soldiers who have given up uh, their, the fight. But what we can say, for sure, and thanks to our friend Dave DeCamp at Antiwar.com, let's just put up that next clip uh, for us. The context, critical context that's going to be missing from all U.S. news coverage about this. And this is Dave DeCamp saying, I can't stop thinking about the title of one of the late Robert Perry's great articles from 2015. Uh, Robert Perry, of course, from Consortium News, sadly passed away. Uh, He called it the mess that Newland made. He wrote this article in 2015, right after the US coup. This really is, Dr. Paul, the mess that Newland made. And it wasn't just Newland, but she is a target. McCain was there, remember. He was on the ground in Kiev when the coup was going on, egging them on, egging them on, overthrow your government. Well, you know, the old saying, if you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. And unfortunately, this tragedy, and it is terrible, any military forces use this, it, terrible. The main point I think we want to make today, it could have and should have been avoided in a way that would have actually defended our national interest rather than undermined it.
0: You know, the obsession of NATO and the West seems like it was an obsession. Yeah. They, they, every time there was an opportunity to sort of benefit... Uh, from the end of the cold war you know somebody said oh yeah we'll agree to do this and uh it seemed like a reasonable request by uh by russia they said you you're not going to go beyond this point you're not allowed to come to the border you're not allowed to bring these weapons in and you're to recognize that uh, places especially places like eastern ukraine would uh not be used as a tool to promote nato so i would say from the very beginning you know a lot of people may predictions and they were right but from the very beginning it was almost strategy that they were dealing with I mean they weren't doing this to have a a happy uh, friendly club Uh, they did this for strategic reasons on who was going to control the you know the uh, European uh, theater and uh, and I saw some good openings there with uh, you know, symbolically, when you think of uh, the ability to put down a pipeline in a reasonably uh, quick fashion and going from Russia all the way to to Germany, yeah. and, uh, and, and this this to me should be a real opening for the countries to get along, and then Germany gets uh, mixed up in the middle. On whose side are they on? And and, uh, and they 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 go along with the sanctions. Now they're now they're still talking about the the people in Washington now seem, seem to have agreed: no troops on the ground, no troops on the ground. Well, I've I've heard that before, and it ended up was well, just in oh. We'll just send in advisors. I can remember the day that Eisenhower sent in advisors to Vietnam because Eisenhower wasn't looking for a hot war or just advisors. But advisors are participating in a potential hot war. And that, of course, is what all sanctions are. When you start denying people access to financial transactions and turning off their oil and doing all these things, they should expect, you know, a confrontation. So the uh, it it seems they have something driving them for a sense of power and glory uh, that they can't even give it up and say, well, why don't we talk about it? And and uh, and they say, well, you can't trust Russians, you know, this sort of thing. Then then if you want to list the things where NATO NATO doesn't have a very good record for being good, uh, you know, honest negotiators.
1: Yeah, it's you know the, it, it, to understand this, and this is the the problem once again, which makes it you know for me at least uncomfortable to discuss it because people always want to you know who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. To understand the thinking of the Russians and Putin when this uh, when this decision was made and executed, I would highly recommend a statement that he made today. It was early in the morning, uh, and obviously because everyone's playing with the internet, you can't get it to call up, but it's on their website, and he goes into great detail doesn't mean if we think he's right or wrong or if we think he's a good guy or a bad guy. He explains the antecedents. As you say, history is important. He said, we sat here and watched uh, in the 90s when the U.S. and NATO bombed uh, Yugoslavia and Serbia without a U.N. resolution. Uh, we sat here and watched the invasion of Iraq based on a lie, based on lies that we all knew. And then came Libya, he said, and we sat and we watched that happen. And then came Syria, and we sat and we watched that happen. And then they decided to push it up into Ukraine with weapons and the promise of NATO membership. And he said, that's the point, was the breaking point for us. I think it's a rational, whether you like it or not, I think it's a rational explanation of why they took such a radical step, which, frankly, I didn't think they would do. I didn't realize they were, they were at this point where they were just going to say enough is enough.
0: You know, I, I learned a lesson and, uh, dur- during the time of the presidential campaigns because I was asked a question, And I wasn't very cautious. I just blurted out the truth and got a little bit of attention. And that was looking at a little bit of history and say, well, why do these things happen? And uh, well, well, why don't we look and see? Why don't we ask uh, or listen to Osama bin Laden? Why why do they hate us? Why do they want to bomb us? Rather than taking the political uh, answer here, they say, oh, they don't like us because we're rich and free. And yeah. I imagine that was never used, motivated people to do, uh, uh, you know, suicide terrorism, that type of stuff. Yeah. They had other motivations, and, and that goes back to homeland, uh, you know, f- feelings. And you know, Ukraine is part of that too. Uh, the big question is, is who feels like uh, they represent the homeland? Yeah. Certainly, certainly, uh, eastern Ukraine. Uh, Crimea, they don't feel like the homeland is in Brussels, yeah, you know, yeah. that, they, they, they don't want to have any part of that. And I don't know whether our side and NATO d- doesn't understand it or they know exactly what it is and they have to counteract it with force.
1: Yeah, well, it's not pro-American to be wanting to get involved in this. And in fact an AP poll that came out yesterday, so before this attack, showed that only 29% of the American people want the U.S. to be heavily involved in the Ukraine-Russia thing. So the American people at this point are not with us. Well, they'll propagandize them enough. But you, you, pointed, you pointed out you know, the different things that motivated this to happen. And one of those is the, is the letter delivered in December of 2021, and Putin himself mentions it in his speech. The Russians delivered a letter to the Americans, uh, to Blinken, I think it was, saying let's try to have a new security architecture in europe where everyone can feel secure and here are the things we would like to see happen we don't want to have ukraine in nato because the, the opposing, posting of <coughs> potentially hypersonic weapons can hit moscow in four minutes we don't want that we don't want missiles put in ukraine because we feel that it's an existential threat to russia and those are re- reasonable and legitimate from any perspective if it was true with mexico we'd have the same thing so the U.S., instead of saying, hey, let's sit down and talk about this because we have some ideas too, basically they laughed in Russia's face. The response was comically devoid of any kind of detail, and I think that was the last straw for the Russians. We tried to tell you, we tried to be able to solve this peacefully without it happening, and you laughed in our face, and so now we have... Uh, you know, the situation that's happening. You mentioned Kennan earlier. Where are the people like Kennan? Where are the hard-nosed realists that understand the cost and benefit analysis of U.S. foreign policy? They're gone. All we have is people like a Blinken and people like Jake Sullivan who you know, sit around reading their own bumper stickers. They don't have any sort of sense of history.
0: And I would suggest to anybody who's a reasonable person in talking and discussing this, but in, di- in disagreement with this, I would say, The only thing I suggest is don't take my word uh, for it. Just go and read uh, what happened in 2014. Yeah, just study it. To to find out what, what was going on there. And all of a sudden, We participated in a coup against the leader that was elected, Uh, you know, and and they were and they threw out the person that wanted to at least have negotiations with Russia. And they put in somebody that was pro-NATO that wants to antagonize and bring the missiles up under the border. And actually, they would have ended up inside, uh, uh, you know, and I'm sure uh, they always uh, assume that they better be prepared and eastern, uh, western Ukraine would be. In the middle of the fight, but and you've often made this point, yeah. Even if the even if they lived up to no troops on the ground, yeah. But our bullets are on the ground yeah. and our bombs are in the air and we have ships that we can shoot from and all these things. So we uh, we do get involved. Uh, but all this stuff uh, is, uh, all of it is, it turns out it's an act of war. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I think sanctions are so bad too. Sanctions can be brutal yeah. uh, if they're enforced.
1: Well, you know, a government was installed in 2014 in Ukraine that violent, was violently anti-Russian, explicitly and violently anti-Russian. So trying to see things in perspective, what if China had installed ISIS to rule Mexico on our border, you know, virulently anti-US? You have to see it this way. Well, here are a couple of things that I wanted also clips I wanted to bring out. These are sort of the aftermath, although I think we're just at the beginning, the end of the first part. I think this is going to go on. But let's look at this next one. This is a good uh, Twitter uh, to follow, ASB News Military. Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, said he demands from the EU the introduction of a no-fly zone <laughs> over Ukraine. Uh, that's, someone said he's never stopped being a comedian because, you know, that was his profession before he became president. He's still a comedian. And someone else quipped, well, they already have a no-fly zone, but it's Russia that established <laughs> it. So that, that's funny. But we should get into some of the economic implications of what's happening. And these are some things from this morning. If we can look at that next one, this again is from Zero Hedge. The UK is rushing, is pushing to kick Russia out of swift, but Germany says no. And I think that's important. I know you're gonna to wanna to say something about that, but I'll do the next one first. And if you do that, this is from Reuters. If we do the next clip, uh, this is from Reuters. The Biden administration is not expected to target Russia's crude oil and refined fuel sector with sanctions cutting off trade due to concerns about inflation and the harm it could do to its European allies, global markets, and the U.S. consumers officials say that's reported by Reuters. So they're not going to, to do this because he realize they don't really have a lot of good moves. Yeah.
0: You know, uh, and you bring up the subject of Germany, and they're hard to figure out because sometimes you get information from some of their leaders who, uh, like many countries in the world, including ours, they actually have Marxists in their government, and they lean in this direction. So where does it put them? Uh, if you were just looking at that particular belief, they'd have maybe some secret sympathies, you, you know, for uh, uh, for Russia, but that isn't the case. I mean, it seems like. It seems like they go from day to day on on what they do, and uh, and they go along with what we tell them. So we must have a lot of clout o- over them. But they did stand up and say, you know, uh, when they wanted to take Swift away from uh, from the Ukrainians, uh, that they said, well, that's, that's too much uh, from 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 Russia. Yeah, yeah. That, that was way too much. But uh, you know, I I think that's one of the things in the last several years. Uh, uh, both administrations, uh, that is sad because they became more protectionist and uh, they became not only protectionist but they accept the principle uh, of sanctions and that, they're hardly debated and and they're they're very much bipartisan and right now it's just a matter of degree. Yeah, you know uh, what should we do and what day should we start doing it rather than saying, you know, they. It, it's almost like if you say. Well, you know what? I believe in free trade. That's almost like saying that uh, I'm a communist conspirator yeah. to believe in freedom to trade your goods and services. Yeah. And yet that, that was a pretty strong principle of the founders of this country. They believed that uh, that was the way you prevented war, you know, about making sure that goods and services cross borders or the military will. Yeah. And that's what's happening. Here
1: we have it. What's astonishing is how quickly Russia established, you know, superiority over Ukraine. Of course, there will be some fighting back, but it was, it was massive. It, was, it was, really was a, a lightning strike. And I'm thinking, what are some parallels in this? And there is a good parallel, I think, and that's Afghanistan. We spent 20 years, untold billions of dollars, sending them weapons, giving them training, saying that it's one of the greatest armies ever. And at the first moment, it completely collapsed. We've spent the past eight years giving billions and billions in weapons to Ukraine. We had the CIA training their militias. We had the Ukrainian military over here training, trained them, backed them, funded them, weaponed them. And (laughs) what happens? They literally fall flat at uh, at the first sign of battle. You would think that we would learn our lesson from this, but obviously the U.S. doesn't. And I know a group that's pretty happy about it is a military industrial complex. For sure.
0: Now I'm looking for that positive sign here And this is the positive of this. You know, it took us a long time. We're slow learners. You know, (laughs) we have all government (laughs) schools. We're slow learners. But we have learned that that war wasn't worth very much. Even the people who supported the war, there's still the hawks out there. We didn't finish it. There's still some who want to go back to Vietnam and finish the war, finish the war, and go back. So they they do this, and they say, well, we have to continue uh, to finish the war. And at the same time, uh, the uh, people... That uh, that have to fight the war, you know, they're not so anxious to do it. They want to get people to get involved, and uh, the Russians went through the same thing in Afghanistan. Yeah. And we thought, you know, we made fun of them. Yeah. They Don't they know about the uh, what the Emma cemetery? Graveyard ha- of empires. Graveyard of empire. But maybe maybe Russia did learn a lesson because uh, they're. Uh, uh, the, the, it, it seems like they'd like to look like they're diplomatic uh, individuals that are willing to talk, and we have this evidence that doesn't prove anything, but it proves that you shouldn't just dismiss them and make yeah. fun of them. That will make thing, things worse. So that. Uh, the Russians may have picked up on a lesson learned in Afghanistan that we haven't. So I'm looking for the positive. 20 years, we should have learned our lesson. And it might take a new generation of individuals who read history. But if they're going to read history, whose history book are they going to read? So that's a yeah. big thing, too. And I have a suggestion where they could get better history.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I wanted to point out just a couple of, I think, more astute comments that have been made on this recently. Uh, so if, if you can put up the next one. This is Darren Beatty, who is a journalist. And I think really a very, very, very bright and astute person on the right. There's not a lot of bright spots on the right. I think Darren is one of them, and I don't know him personally. But he tweets this out today. One of the major talking points on the right is Biden's, quote, weakness. Trump would be stronger. And he says, perhaps true. But this eludes what the appropriate investment is in the Ukraine situation. Is it sufficiently in our interest to warrant a display of strength in this specific arena? Good question, because it's always strength versus weakness. And the other one is Michael Tracy, who actually came here a couple of years ago to interview you, and I think he's very astute, and he's not associated, I don't think, with the right or the left, which makes him probably a good journalist. But he tweeted out last night, The purpose of the U.S. subsidizing Ukraine's military for all these years was supposedly to deter Putin, but it apparently did the opposite. (laughs) So miscalculation. And then he commented on his own comment, Last night, Putin again expressly cited U.S. efforts to gain a military foothold on Ukrainian territory as a major reason why he launched his attack. Pointing out U.S. policy failures will be denounced as an apology for Putin, but it's now more vital than ever to avert a wider war. And just one more from Michael Tracy, if we can do that next one. This is my last clip. Uh, He also commented today, In 2017, when the Trump administration announced that the U.S. would begin sending lethal weapons to Ukraine, The stated purpose was to, quote, deter aggression. This was, of course, continued and expanded by Biden under the same logic. But it didn't deter anything. It antagonized and radicalized Putin. So I think this is the big lesson. Actions have consequences. The US foreign policy establishment believes that there are never any consequences to the actions that are taken by the US. You don't have to like the the consequences or dislike, but there are consequences. And what happened today was a consequence of this years-long project of arming, and training, and weapon weaponizing Ukraine by the U.S.
0: And that all is amplified by. Uh Bad diplomacy, making a lot of noise, and and and, and not uh, p- playing like a decent person. Like uh, you know, if they have a request, at least answer it. You know, if it, maybe maybe they are telling the truth rather than dismissing it. And we have a habit of dismissing anybody that we look down upon. Yeah. But uh, you know, yesterday I missed all this. Uh, the the members of Congress had to say something. Oh, of course, yeah, they're yeah. they're good at that. And uh, most of the time they're bipartisan, but we do know that uh, both parties support a strong uh, uh, effort against Russia, and Russia uh, is 100% at fault for all of this stuff. But uh, the um, House Foreign Affairs Committee... Uh, McCall, the chairman of that, did a press release on this. And I want to just read a sentence from that because it does represent, you know, a, uh, an opinion which is, this is Republican. But it's not too far off from what the Democrats uh, support. And uh, they, they, uh, want to, they want to get, they, they do come together. But I think what I'm going to read here really gives cover, um, you, you know, for, uh, for Biden. You know, because they're saying, we, we, we complain about Biden just antagonizing and bugging. We do this and threatening. And then he compounds it by by not nobody believing him anyway. Yeah. But anyway, the Republican statement is uh, pretty clear, kind of what they said. He said, and this is in quotes, In response, we are committed to enacting the strongest possible sanctions and export controls to cripple Russia's ability to make war. Uh punish the barbarity and relegate the Putin administration to the status of an international pariah. We cannot respond like we did in 2008 and 2014. I well, <laughs> probably could agree with a little bit of that. Uh, the world must never forget or forgive this heinous act. You know, that that is really uh, not looking for any opening to move away. But I don't think I don't know how we could right now just <laughs> start moving back and say, well, you know, maybe, we, uh, maybe we've taken a, a stand that participated in, in this mess that we have over there. So that's why prevention is a much better tool than trying to sort this all out when we end up with a mess like this. So the mess over there has nothing to do with the thing that they accuse us of or being weak. You're weak. That's why That's why they do these things. You're just way too weak. you got to be strong and prevent them from Russia doing these things. But uh, that... That is not uh, that is not exact, exactly the case. Uh, they are, they're now they fail to realize that a different policy in the past could have prevented this. But it's a little difficult. But that still doesn't remove the facts. Uh, the facts. If they made mistakes, said the wrong things, and helped precipitate this, then we need people more more willing to look at both sides, like George Kennan and say, well, maybe maybe there is, maybe diplomacy sh- should still live. And that's why a lot of us were excited about when the Cold War ended. Yeah. You know, that was, that was, uh, that was a, a, a great event as far as I'm concerned, but uh, it's whittling away. Yeah, it is. Well, I'm
1: going to close on a positive note. I had to find something positive. The positive note is that Colonel McGregor, our good friend, is right. Uh, what we've seen over the past 12 hours really is the end of NATO NATO has been shown to be less than worthless completely completely superfluous in the modern in, in modern Europe certainly of course so I think we should applaud that I think that's the best thing that would come out of this but let's replace it with a pro-american foreign policy which is a policy that takes American interests into consideration before anything else before the idea of having to police the world or control the world or control Ukraine's borders, Let's replace the end of NATO, the end of this sort of post-Cold War architecture with a pro-America foreign policy that is non-interventionist, realist, hard-headed, and not seeking monsters to slay.
0: So the advice is, Ron, don't worry. It'll work out okay. But but NATO's no- on its way out. And I happen to think that is the case because I think there's uh, too many fallacies uh, within the system. And uh it, it doesn't mean that next year it's gone, but the weaker it gets, our foreign policy is changing to our benefit. But there's so much pain and suffering, especially the financial pain, of they, that they, we continue to spend the money and send the troops and stir up trouble. And yet uh, the, the the hawks would be just be willing to really come down hard on us because... We see the weakening of our ability to run the world and police the world, and spend all this money, and, and take care of the military-industrial complex and the banking system, as being uh, being weak. And uh, we think we should quit doing that, and that would show a sign of strength because we would uh, really be emphasizing the importance of promoting a system that uh, you know works hard to pre- 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 uh, present and protect peace and prosperity. That's what we're here for, and we want to do the best job we can. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.